Christine read Uncle Harry's email, the third one this morning with the first delivered at 5.45 a.m. Uncle Harry sending messages at 5.45 a.m.? These last several months, he'd become the person she'd known was inside the drinking, carousing, swearing, just-turned-fifty man she called Uncle Harry. He'd become responsible. That was a word not often associated with Harry Blacksworth. Dependable was another unfamiliar term. Of course, she'd always been able to depend on him. It was the rest of the world he'd shut out, intent to let them think he was not reliable and therefore incapable of making a decision that was not connected to fitness, food, or attire. But he was an integral part of Blacksworth and Company these days, with a sign on his door that read Chief Executive Officer. He called her with questions now and again, sometimes about the small set of clients she maintained, other times in regard to broader issues. Truthfully, he'd slid right into the high-powered position as though he hadn't spent the last twenty-plus years perfecting his golf game and enjoying a workout and long lunch during business hours. Maybe the change had to do with her leaving the company and moving to Magdalena. Or it could be tied to the secret he'd carried for so many years. He might be her father. Hadn't he said that if he'd known she'd looked to him as a father figure, he would have done things a bit differently? As in the running around, swearing, drinking, and overall debauchery he so enjoyed for too many years. Or did the miraculous change in her uncle have to do with Greta Servinson, her mother's cook-turned-manager at Harry's Folly, one of Chicago's new trendy restaurants. Uncle Harry avoided questions pertaining to Greta, but Christine didn't miss the faint pink that crept up his neck when he talked about her, or the way his voice dipped, like he was thinking about her and not as a manager. The truth would spill out eventually. It always did. Nate said she shouldn't try to play matchmaker for the rest of the world, that some people really did want to be alone. What did he know? When they first met, he'd tried to push her away with his harsh commentary on her life and her family, and given her a thousand reasons why she should leave Magdalena. But the pull to find the truth about her father's secret life had proved stronger than Nate's insistence. And once she'd glimpsed the real Nathan DeSantro, kind, gentle, trustworthy. She'd acknowledged there was nowhere she'd rather be than beside him. Safe, secure, committed. She traced the intricate design of the wedding band on her left finger. They'd exchanged vows in the living room of Nate's log cabin ten days before Christmas, surrounded by red and white poinsettias and the people who meant most to them. Uncle Harry was there, gold pocket watch dangling from his jacket, his tanned face serious. Lily stood next to him, dressed in green velvet and patent leather, her smile brilliant, her Blacksworth eyes bright. Miriam had swiped at her face and sniffed a few times, while Winston Harden, Magdalena's Justice of the Peace, recited the vows. And then it was over and Nate had taken her in his arms and kissed her with such reverence, Christine cried. Big tears, 
the kind that smeared makeup and created streams of mascara on a woman's cheeks. Nate hadn't cared. He'd wiped her tears and whispered in her ear, I love you, Christine DeSandro, today and always. The tears multiplied and spread to Lily and Miriam, and she hadn't been certain, but Uncle Harriet appeared wet-eyed as well, though he attributed his to an allergic reaction to the pine from the Christmas tree in the corner.